the product ladder. Some of the smartest companies in the world use this approach to better serve customers and meet them where they are. Here's how to come up with your low, middle, and high-end offers, even if you're just starting out. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because skills pay the bills. I've got another side hustle coaching episode for you today. It's a service business with a side of digital product for dessert. I'm joined by Matt Rodnitsky, who reached out to share his unique ghostwriting and self-publishing support business he's got at platypusbooks.com, where he helps entrepreneurs and other interesting people turn their ideas and expertise into books. For this, Matt earns 30 grand and up per project, but as you might have guessed, it takes a ton of work and the client pipeline is sometimes dry for months at a time. He's also created an online course teaching self-publishing, but hasn't enrolled any students yet. He was looking for some help in marketing for more consistent lead generation and also to get some clarity on his services and product offerings. To help me talk through this stuff, I invited Kurt Elster from EtherCycle.com back to the program. Longtime listeners might remember Kurt from way back in the archives, episode 71, which we recorded five years ago in 2014. Kurt hosts the unofficial Shopify podcast and is a leader in productized consulting in the Shopify space. So stick around to hear our take on Matt's business and Kurt's recommendations for next steps. As you listen in, of course, put yourself in Matt's shoes to see how a similar product or service ladder can apply to your own business. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary of the call, are at sidehustlenation.com slash platypus. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Matt and Kurt after the interview. Matt's going to be the first voice you hear talking about where he's at today and what he's looking for from this call. Ready? Let's do it. There are a million potential things I can do, and I don't know which are the most important. Okay. Give us a baseline of where the business is at today, or what's that pipeline look like today? So the pipeline is just very opportunistic. So I tend to do well when I get a referral or someone happens to read my stuff, but it's very, very inconsistent. So I don't have that much trouble, you know, selling people. I don't really have trouble delivering a product. It's just I have trouble getting consistent leads and really kind of like segmenting the customers because some people want to pay 500 bucks for a course. Other people want to pay $50,000 for ghostwriting. And I have trouble knowing where to find people and what to tell them at first. So it's kind of all over the place. Okay. Is that a typical offer for you? $50,000 ghostwriting? I've only done that once. I've done like a $30,000 turn your podcast into a book. Okay. So really, it was a really high ticket offers here. Yes. Okay. And then it's kind of like heads down, I'm going to work on this for three or four months and come back with a product at the end. Exactly. Which goes well. And then of course the problem is I deliver it and then I'm like, wait, what do I do next? (laughs) Yes. Yes. The common freelance problem, but at least you got paid multiple tens of thousands of dollars to do it. Yes. It could be a lot worse. (laughs) Do you have the capacity to take on more of those projects? I think I could take on, I can definitely take on two at a time. I've done that before, probably three or four. And I do have people that could help me where I think I could get a little higher than that, but that hasn't been an issue yet. Okay. So target customer sounds like is an entrepreneur, a business owner who has a message, has a content, has some content they want to get out into the world. They see the value in publishing a book on their topic to establish their expertise. They've got some budget to spend 
Kurt, first impressions of, of Matt's business? Well, it's phenomenal that he's got this super high average order value for a project, right? And he's getting word of mouth referrals. That's probably his, his number one lead gen source right now. Those are all very good signs. And looking at the Platypus Publishing website, it's pretty good. It's got some, he's got a, a really strong sales letter here. He's got brands he's worked with. I would describe this as a, a validated business. So 100%, you know, this will work. This can be made to generate a substantial full-time income for you. But really, it's just a matter of, to your point earlier about clarity, is I think it's about having processes in place to make sure that this word of mouth is not just a thing that happens through circumstance on its own, but you are engineering your luck. We'll, we'll call it, you're casting your luck sale. So the bigger a luck sale we could catch, the more opportunities you're going to get. And then it sounds like once you have the leads, you have a pretty good, you do a good job of, of being able to close them. The only concern I have here is there's a little confusion on who the ideal customer is. Because you're like, oh, I've got people who want to pay 50 grand to have me just take care of it for them. And I've got people who want to pay a couple hundred bucks for a course and DIY it. Those are very different outcomes, very different customers. Like it feels like there's overlap and those would be similar businesses, but they're really not, are they? No, definitely not. That's what I've been struggling with. Okay. So what's the thing that keeps you up at night? So I think I'm more passionate about helping the lower end of the spectrum, but I find them harder to reach and harder to sell. So describe to me what that customer looks like, the low end, the DIY side. So the ideal customer would probably be one of my favorite clients. I'll give him a little shout out. His name's Trevor Krause. He wrote this book called Ticket List. So he basically, this guy snuck into a bunch of sporting events like Super Bowl, Wimbledon, like all biggest ones in the world and wanted to write a memoir, just like telling his crazy stories. So he had written like an article telling like his craziest story. I reached out to him. I was like, this would be such an awesome book. And I kind of like coached him through the entire process. But he was my first client. This was, I guess, like six years ago or something. So basically, I took a lowball offer and only got paid a couple thousand dollars for years of work. So I think someone like him is the perfect candidate for a course, but I haven't found a way to reach those people consistently. I have found consistently the best way to market yourself when you are a skilled professional like yourself is by working in public. Number one, the top priority I would go after today is building a case study and then content around that success. So you know, this is the project I want to do and I want to do this again and we had such great success and it was a ton of fun and I like this client. If you want to attract more people like that, you need to work in public and share that story. Like when I go to rudbits.com slash platypus publishing, right? Yep. Okay. When I'm there, I don't see that story mentioned on here. I don't see social proof. I don't see, and it's not clear who it's for, right? So when I land on the site, it's like, we'll publish anyone's idea if they're exceptional. And then I've got two calls to action, DIY publishing, apply to get published. And then the DIY publishing goes to a convert kit landing page to opt in to a email course and then apply to get published goes to a type form. So if it's not clear to you who the ideal customer is, it's certainly coming across on the website that way that it's not clear. I think number one, you got to decide on like, this is the ideal customer. And then on the website through your copywriting, hold up the mirror where you're going to show me like, hey, isn't this the outcome you want? And really spell it out for me. Because there's some really good 
lines here, but I don't get to them until I'm further down the page. There's a headline a third of the way down the page says, traditional publishers are a glorified scam. Oh, I like that line. That's one of those things where you see a headline like that and you go, I got to know more. I need to know what this guy's about. And then you back it up with stats. And there's some really great stuff in here. But above the fold, when I first land on the page, the positioning is so soggy. So priority two would be work out a positioning statement where you could say, if I ask you, hey, what do you do? Who do you do it for? Why? You could tell me that. I want you to be able to tell me that in 10 seconds or less. So if you ask me, I'd say, I help Shopify merchants find hidden profits in their store. Unlike other Shopify partners, I'm solely concerned with return on investment. So I have a very clear image. This is who I'm helping. This is how I'm helping them. And this is why. That's what you need. That will then become the cornerstone of like everything you do, your marketing, your case studies, your social, everything. But until you have that clear idea, no one else is going to have it either. They're so disparate, those two ends of the spectrum, DIY versus ghostwriting. Right. The ghostwriting customer is like, I can spend tens of thousands of dollars to get this book out into the world. And yeah, that's a completely different project or, or kind of customer avatar than the person who's like, I kind of want to do it myself. I have these stories in my head. Or I, I definitely don't have that kind of budget to launch this thing into the world. I like this idea of, of working in public and showing the case studies. Yeah, that's 100% where it would start is with make a case study about that great success because then you could just include that in so many places. I mean, what a cool thing to do. But if you had this great case study, it's just include that in your email signature. Right. If you go through all the effort of making this thing, then you want everyone you talk to to know about it. And I think that will certainly help with your lead gen. But yeah, who is it that you, you want to do this work for? Because they're so different. And you said both, but then like the, even the example you gave, the price was on the lower end, but the project was on the high end. So let's try to like narrow that down. Yeah, I think I would ideally like to work with first-time authors who are willing to do a lot of work on their own. So maybe they're employed and this is sort of side hustle for them, or they could be in college or maybe college is not a good idea because they won't have enough money. But I would say someone who's doing it on the side or someone who's working online and kind of wants to write it more as a personal project, I would much rather focus on those people than the higher end clients. But at the same time, I've just been getting more of those coming in the higher end clients. So I I think that's what's screwing up my messaging a bit because I'm like, oh, I want to work with these lower end scrappy people, but I keep getting an executive talking to me and he, they're speaking completely different languages. But I think I can easily have like two different landing pages for those people. And like you said, I definitely kind of tried to include both under the same message, which doesn't really work. But I don't see any reason why I can't dial one up and then dial one down. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like 
LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's the goal of the business? Like what would be a success 12 to 18 months from now in terms of revenue, in terms of like the type of work that you're doing day to day? In terms of revenue, it would be something in the range of like 10 grand in recurring monthly revenue, say working with a handful of people like individually, maybe five, six people at a time, like coaching them on implementing a course. And then maybe I have one like higher ticket client, but honestly, I'm much less concerned about the higher ticket side. So that's very different from what you have now. You said, listen, I want to coach five to six people on developing their own course. Uh, Sorry, on implementing my course. So like, say I have like 20 people in the course upselling like five of them on more personalized coaching. All right, this is coming together better. So the landing page, the homepage, the sales page, that should be focused more on getting people, the goal should be get them to sign up for your email list where you're going to have an email course, a drip series that helps teach them to do this thing. And then at the end is the call to action is something like, hey, you could buy my course. And then that's its own sequence that goes out. Or you could make it very high touch where you say, hey, let's get on a phone call. And then you can help either, you can help them out, you make a real impact. And you could either try and sell them on your course then or try and get them to to sign up for coaching. But just 10,000 foot view, what I'm seeing here is like, number one, figure out the positioning and have it focused on people who want to self-publish themselves. And then once we've got that, it's like homepage is a sales page that opts the gets them into a funnel. And first off, you share your success with that case study, share your background start giving them like actionable advice that they can implement today. And now, all right, so you've got that email list that starts becoming your critical part of your sales pipeline. You can see where this this starts to snowball. Whereas the current system is like, people may or may not visit the site. They may or may not either sign up for an email list or apply to Ghostwrite. And so really like the biggest problem you're suffering right now is that lack of focus where 
if I had to guess, if you look back on what you did this summer, it feels like you went an inch in every direction as opposed to a mile forward, right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If it feels like I'm in any way being hard on you, I apologize because you're suffering the exact same problem I did six, seven years ago and so many other entrepreneurs. It's really common. When I survey people, I go, hey, what's your number one, number one pain or problem you're having in your business? The answer overwhelmingly, like four to five times is, I'm overwhelmed. There is so much opportunity out there. There are so many things to do. So I think it, in your case, it's write that positioning statement, that one, one or two sentences, which is so, so much harder than it sounds, then rework this homepage. You have such a good homepage. It's got a cool sales letter. Rework that into like a proper sales letter funnel to get them to opt into an email. Then from there, all right, you could start working on improving that email list. And then at the same time, all the work you're doing now, you start trying to think like a, a social media influencer and start sharing actionable advice online to try and generate more consistent leads. Is this starting to make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I like couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think we're we're starting to get something to come together here. So Matt, we click on the DIY publishing today. It goes to that ConvertKit landing page, ready or not, go from no idea to chapter one over the course of this five-day email series. Is that converting into course sales for you now? So I haven't actually launched the course yet. So that was one of the kind of scattered things I did over the summer. As Kurt was saying, I built like a beta version of the course, but I have not really told anyone about it. So I've been trying to build my email list, got like 400 subscribers, nothing crazy, but I need to make that a priority. Hey, that's 400 people. <laughs> it is better than yeah, zero. Absolutely. It's better than zero. How have those people discovered you? I'd say the first 100, 150 or so were just through my network, messaging people individually. And the next 200 or so came either from like, uh, well, I did one partnership where I got about 50 um, and I think almost all of the rest came from my book on self-publishing where I was giving it away for free. Um, got like a ton of free downloads on Amazon and and a lot of those converted. But then that died down pretty quickly once I you know, made it a paid book again. Okay. What's been the hesitation to email those 400 people and say, hey, the course is ready for some beta students? Not really anything like it's a thing i was planning on doing soon and i don't really know if there's any reason to wait much more <laughs> much longer at least then you start to get some feedback on what they like what they don't like if people even want that offering to begin with absolutely that's something i've been planning on doing and and i don't know i guess i just got distracted by having a few potential clients and again it was these two competing things i want to sell this course on the lower end and then i'm talking to like an executive who wants something totally totally different just kind of getting distracted What's that course cost? Right now, it's listed at 500 bucks, but I haven't validated that offer or anything. My only fear would be, as an initial service offering, if it's too much, if there should be... Like, ideally, for info products, we want a product ladder. So you had a thing, you had a book that you were giving away for free. There's your lead magnet. And then, ideally, there could be something in between, and then they go up to $500 course. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I have to think about what that would be. I think you know, I was trying to just put everything into one product, but what you're saying makes more sense. Well, you you could even figure out what the core actionable component is in the course and break that into like its own smaller info product that comes before it. Just if you could get people unstuck 
everybody who's approaching you is saying, I want to publish something, but I haven't. They haven't done anything except talk about it. So if you could give them anything that gets them unstuck, gets them motivated, gets them to take action, that's tremendously empowering for them. And so I think that's that's the kind of thing that will get them to to take the next step and go, all right, this is working. I'm willing to invest the 500 bucks in this course and myself. Yeah, I think that gave me a bunch of ideas. I think that is definitely the way to go. Because there does seem to be like this big gap between like you're saying, someone who says, like, I really want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you just start right now and buy this $500 course? And they're like, well, that's that's a bit much. But I do think I could potentially sell something much cheaper and be like, just start putting your work out there online. How to get an idea out of your head into a blog post to test, like something I'm obviously just talking out of my butt right now, but something like that. And you've gone through all this effort of creating the course. So you could then take pieces of that and recycle that content. That could become the outline for a webinar. It could become guest blog posts. It could become emails in a a drip series. It could be bite-sized social media content. You have so much great content back here that is currently doing absolutely nothing for you. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. <laughs> I realize that. And I've got I've got the the book is is like 220 pages and the course is however many hours long. Like there's so much to repurpose and I just haven't done it. Yeah, you have all these great assets. And I really like, just as a broad business structure, I really like this model of doing super high-end one-on-work for clients and then using that kind of financial breathing room that that affords you and perhaps time leverage or time freedom that that affords you to productize that or to build an asset that's more applicable for the masses. Or like, hey, if you don't have 30 grand, here, here's another option for you. I think that's in general, a pretty cool practice. It's just kind of now first validating, hey, people will buy this, people will see results from this, this, you know, my system works, which you've already kind of proven firsthand and for the handful of clients that you've worked with, but like, okay, how can we get that out to a broader audience? And then how do we fill that funnel, for lack of a better word? Like, how do we get more people to discover Matt and his work in the first place? So Kurt mentioned working in public. You mentioned the word of mouth, referral partners, that type of thing has been effective. Anything else on the content production side where it's like, okay, if I Google something like how to how to, how to publish a book, like, are you going to show up? Or I know Kurt's been tremendously successful with the unofficial Shopify podcast, like anything to begin conversations in public about self-publishing and why that's important and how to get started with that. Yeah, I like very recently started trying to publish some stuff, but I would like to consistently, I mean, because I think I can just basically repurpose a lot of the content in my book. I was like so obsessed with getting this book out because I'm like, I'm writing about books. It seemed kind of silly to just be blogging and not writing a book. But I think that I can take 80% of the stuff in the book, kind of repackage it. It's also a couple years old, so update it and just start pushing that out there. Is that under your own name? I didn't think I found that one on Amazon. Yeah, it's, it doesn't always show up because I, again, didn't really push it out that hard, but it's called You Are an Author, So Write Your Effing Book. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, now I see it. I like the title. One of the things that helped my early success was doing a podcast tour. I got invited to be on a podcast. I was nervous as hell. I did it. And at the end, they said, oh, would you know anybody else who'd make a good guest? And we can give you a referral to another podcast host. 
And that got the train started. We're like doing one after another after another. And that piqued my interest. And that's what got me into hosting my own podcast. But I think you have so much experience here. You have a lot to teach people. You have a lot that can inspire people. So it's just a matter of, I think the, the fastest way to grow your audience would be get in front of other people's audiences and help inspire them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was on a podcast about a month ago. I got another one scheduled, but it's like another two months out. And I have been trying to like pitch some people on that, but it hasn't snowballed quite yet. And here you are on the Side Hustle Show. Exactly, which is wonderful. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> I was going to ask if, Kurt, you'd seen anything else effective for just lead gen on the, on the client side, like for the one-on-one stuff, because it seems like that's kind of what is bankrolling the rest of this. It kind of gives you the financial and mental space to like be able to do this is having these clients pay you big sums of money to help them either ghostwrite or kind of walk them through the, the writing process. The 10,000 foot view I'm starting to see here is similar to my own business in that you've got a clear product ladder here and that high-end service you could use that to price anchor the value of everything else you do. If you're saying, you're like, ghostwriting starts at $30,000. Well, on my own website, we say custom themes starts at $30,000. And then that puts everything else in perspective. We're like, okay, you know, a theme setup, 7,000. Well, suddenly 7,000, when you put it in the context of 30 grand, seems much more affordable. You could do the exact same thing here where on Platypus Publishing, it says services or offerings or whatever you want to call it. And it's a page that lays out like, here's my book, here's my course, my coaching, then ghostwriting, it starts at 30 grand. So I like that idea a lot in that you could, even though they're different audiences, you could still package the thing together and use everything to your advantage in, in one space. Where And even for the people who want to buy the ghostwriting, they'll see all the other stuff. They go, okay, if this guy can teach it, then he knows it. Yeah, and similarly, if I'm that course customer and I see, well, it's thirty grand normally, but I can get all, I can do it myself for five hundred or whatever the price point of the course ends up being, like all of a sudden now I'm anchored at this much higher value price point. Yeah, I was I was looking at Kurt's site before the show, and it was making lots of things click in my head. I was like, this is so well organized, and this is how my site should be organized, and it's not at all. But it gave me a bunch of ideas. And it goes back to what you said about working in public, where I've done a bunch of these things like behind the scenes. I've done smaller offerings for people. like I've created like outlines for people who weren't quite ready to do like ghostwriting, and then they did it at first, and then they wound up wanting it after the fact. But I just haven't spelled this stuff out in public, so clearly I need to do that. <laughs> and you've got a background working for Tucker Max, where their process, at least as I understood it a few years ago, was like, you're going to come in, we're going to interview you for like 12 hours, and we're going to turn everything you told us into your book. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And my only hesitation with some of this stuff at the beginning was I wasn't like trying to compete with them in any way, because I think their company is awesome. And I also just don't think I could beat them even if I wanted to. But yeah, totally. I try to do similar things. I think that's the wrong attitude. There's abundance and they there's only so much they could do. There is plenty of room for you to offer that same approach without taking anything away from them. True. It feels fatalist. I agree with that. I just I struggle with if I'm talking to someone about that, like how am I selling them? Like, am I saying I'm doing the same thing as this other company who I also respect? Do I not mention the other company or do I need to differentiate myself better? I think it's a new enough type of service that you wouldn't even need to mention it because it's like nine times out of 10, your prospect is not going to have heard of it. 
Yeah, there are plenty of other Shopify partners that offer the same services that I do. But in that space, no one thinks about it because there's web designers and graphic designers have been around for decades now. In your space, a very it's a new thing that was happening more behind closed doors, and now we're seeing it for the first time in public on the internet. So that's a little different. But no, a rising tide lifts all ships. Approach it with abundance mentality. You can do the exact same thing as them. You're not taking anything away from them. You could talk about it. You could sell it. You could do it all day. Neither of you owe each other anything. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think I was definitely thinking about that with the, with the wrong mindset for whatever reason. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Matt, looking at your existing client role or your existing, the people that you've worked with in the past on the service side, are there any commonalities amongst the industries that they're working in, the positions or titles that they hold? Just curious if there's room to say, like, how can I find other people like you? I think the most common thing has been anyone that would consider themselves an expert, basically. So that obviously can be a lot of different industries and they can make money in lots of different ways. But anyone who considers themselves an expert in some sort of specialized field, like, so I always think it's like the person that wants to write the book on X, like fill in the blank. Oh, I like that. I mean, you could position it as that service. The outcome is they become the authority on whatever. Now, suddenly it really looks so much more valuable. In that process, do you have, for the ghostwriting jobs, do you have a, an offboarding process? Any formal, okay, we're, we're done, now this happens? Nope, nothing. I would say that's such an easy win for you right now. Those past clients are one of your assets. They are one of your unfair advantages. If you could go back to them and say, hey, I'd, I'd love to write a case study about our work together with your permission, or would you be open to that? Or, hey, could I get a testimonial? And I saw you use Typeform on your site. You could use Typeform to survey clients, and then the answers to their survey, you turn those into a really great testimonial, and you could go to them and say, hey, based on your answers, I wrote this great testimonial, makes us both sound like geniuses, is it okay if I publish this? Because you've got so much value in those past clients. And one of your survey questions for your, your testimonial survey, the last question we ask is, can you think of one or two other people who would benefit from our services? And most of the time they say, well, not right now. But even if they say no, it's still primes the pump. It keeps you top of mind for when that opportunity does come up. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely need to implement that. The other thing is that you have past clients. You could always approach them and say, hey, how did our work together turn out? And is there anything else you need help with? I'm here if you need me. What I was trying to get at is outside of you know waiting for this inconsistent 
word of mouth referral business to come in outside of, you know, doing kind of the long-term work of working in public and creating content around self-publishing, is there a way to proactively approach people before publishing is even on their radar? Like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, I recognize you as a as a leader in this field. Have you ever thought about turning that expertise into a book? Here's how that might work. Here's, you know, based on what you published over here, that could be chapter one or something. I don't know if that is just to take somebody from, you know, completely cold prospect to like, oh, all of a sudden, I'd like to spend 30 grand with this guy is a big hill to climb. But because the win is so big on the other end, I wonder if there's something there. Yeah, and I've been trying to do that. And it's worked once or twice. But I think I need to, again, like come up with some sort of smaller offering because I've sent like cold emails to relatively big name people and they'll respond excited. And then it's like, what do you have? And then it's a $30,000 package. And they're like, it does sound really cool, but get back to me in six months. All of a sudden it's not a priority. It's like, oh, that's expensive. They are genuinely interested. And I've gotten on the phone with people, but they're just like, ah, it's not urgent for us right now. I can't justify spending that much right now. Since it's early days, have you ever considered doing kind of a hybrid approach where you take a lower fee up front, but you get a percentage of the back end royalties? Like if you think this thing really has legs and is going to reach a wide audience you kind of have a an ownership stake in the in the success of the book i have the problem is i think a lot of the books don't necessarily make money directly like it's a lot of people selling consulting or a course or whatever but i did actually have a client where i was gonna build a book and then like turn it into a funnel for their course so it actually the guy had legal issues it's a very long story so it didn't actually wind up being published But yeah, that's like something I definitely think could work if I'm implementing it with a course or consulting or something like that. Okay. And that may actually be an interesting segment of the population to target people who you already know have a high-end course, but don't have a book at the top of the funnel. Yeah. I I think that's one of the best populations to focus on. I haven't really done that yet besides that one client. Right. It's like you could go to Tony Robbins' $10,000 in-person event, or you could buy his book for 10 bucks on Amazon. Yeah. Exactly. Does it have to be a book? Could you approach people and say, hey, I could create a guide for you, like create a lead magnet. And then you know, that's a much smaller ask. And it's very easy to see the success that that generates and then say, hey, how did that go? If it went well, would you consider turning that into a book? Like essentially use it as a, a trial balloon. I think that's the perfect idea. And I don't know why, <laughs> why I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Well, I have a guess. It's because you got a lot going on, you know? (laughs) True, true, true. There's always more to do. Let's talk about the sales conversations that you are having outside of the the price objection. What else do you hear from the people who tell you no or the people who tell you, come back to me in six months? They always say they're really interested. It sounds super cool. They don't doubt me, but it's not an urgent priority. They like always say something like that. And they will, they always say, come back to me in three months, six months. They don't say, screw off. They say, come back to me. Okay. And I assume you've got a system, not necessarily automating, but like reminding yourself to circle back. Yes. Okay. Kurt, what have you found effective in taking that non-urgent client? The guy's like, yeah, that sounds cool, but the timing's not right. What have you found effective for bringing a sense of urgency to be like, no, here's why you ought to get it done now? Well, I think there's a couple things you could do depending on where they are. Never be dishonest, but we'll tell people, hey, we don't book the time on our schedule for you until the deposit is made. So that'd be like if someone was really close to 
jumping on a project, but then we're clearly hesitating. It would say, listen, there are other projects. If you want to do this now, if you want to wait, that's fine. But if you want to book it now, I need this deposit by X date. So that's if they're like really on the fence about it. If it's earlier in the conversation, which it sounds like a lot of this is, it really is about making the case for the return on investment. And that's where it would want to lean on your past work, be able to point to those case studies and essentially frame it as, you don't have to do this, but if you don't, I guarantee you're leaving money on the table. And people are very loss-averse, and as long as what you're saying is truthful and you could back it up, they'll get on board with you. Yeah, I think this will work really well with what we were talking about before with someone who already has you know, a high-ticket online course or in-person event or whatever, where I can really connect it to that. And I think in the past, I was talking to people who don't necessarily have that, so I didn't really have an argument. But I think there's definitely a big population of people who I can make that argument for. Yeah, more than just the self-publishing royalties, it's like they've got something, the back end of the book, more and more, unless you're a smash hit, like a Harry Potter or a, I don't know, you know what else is popular these days. <laughs> yeah, there, there aren't that many other options. Right. <laughs> That's what I always tell people is, if you're trying to make money on this directly, like, I, I, there's no hard sell I can give you. You need something else to point it to. And then all of a sudden it becomes super valuable. I just, I love that idea of positioning yourself as a kingmaker, where you're saying, hey, if you want to be the authority in this space, I can help you to do that. That's the thing they want. That's the outcome versus like, yeah, I have a book. Okay, 100% that's cool. But saying I'm the authority on this topic, that's significantly cooler. And the, the book is a means to an end is what it sounds like. So I think you need to be positioning it not in terms of the deliverable, but in terms of the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, and then the word of mouth starts to spin in your favor again the more and more that you can get these done. Problem is it's a it's a slow timeline to completion because it's it's a book. If it if it were easy, everybody would have one already. It, it takes some time to produce. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The other thing that's missing from your current site is more social proof. So if you can go back to past people and say, you know, hey, what happened as a result of, of self-publishing, you'll get quotes. And if you've got 500 people on your list, you can ask them. But you can also just talk to people who have published, who have self-published, not necessarily people you helped, but you could go to probably a lot of big names and get them to give you a quote on why they love self-publishing and then include that as, as social proof. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I didn't, didn't even think of that. All right, what are you thinking, Matt, in terms of next steps or things to prioritize from, from this call? So number one would be cleaning up the website, which would be I like what Kurt was saying with the positioning statement. So I think I would want two positioning statements on two different pages. One that's super clear, talking about the case study of of Trevor's book. And then the other one would be this like really clear, do you want to become the authority on X and explaining that in like a sales page. So those two things would be priority number one. After that, I think some cold outreach to people with high ticket products or online courses and focusing more on that like pure ROI and even potentially just selling them on a lead magnet at first if they don't find it urgent and kind of upselling them later. And then I guess the third thing for those do-it-yourself people would just be getting in front of other people's audiences more so, whether that's podcasting, guest posting, etc. Like I think those two things can address both types of people pretty well. Yeah, or having your past students and clients go on podcasts and be like, hey, this guy helped me out, which oftentimes may be, may be better than you know you doing it yourself because it's like, oh, this third-party testimonial. 
true. That's pretty good. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, I would say the the only one I would add to your list, as if you don't already have enough homework, would be going back, reaching out to past clients or customers, and seeing if you can get some social proof out of them. And just touching back in, like maybe there's there are opportunities there otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can handle all those things. It's a lot, but it's not. It feels less overwhelming than the million ideas that were in my head. It's not not too bad. <laughs> Start with the positioning statement. That will give you just such a, a clearer, more focused vision, and will help inform the other things on down the line. Exactly. I think that was like the biggest issue is I wasn't a hundred percent clear, and I was like, oh, maybe I can mix these two completely different audiences under one statement, and that just it just doesn't really work. Any other questions for Kurt or I? Not really, just if there, I guess if you have any tips on finding the best people to like get in front of whose like audiences I should be targeting first. Who inspires you? That's a great question. Lots, lots of people. And I, yeah, I need to write all those down. Yeah, let's start with that. The other thing you do is you have an email list of 500 people. You could survey them. You could ask them like, hey, where are you getting your publishing and writing advice now? Who else do you listen to? Go to your audience and, and use them as a resource. Yeah, that's a great idea. Thank you. Are you sending anything like a regular newsletter to those people? Or what's the relationship look like with that list so far? Yeah, I started doing it regularly maybe three months ago-ish. I've been very like casual with it. Just usually a story with like one tip. Because I just wanted to like build the momentum of, of doing it regularly. But I mean, the response has been really good. I always get a few responses. Open rates, I don't know, like 40%-ish. It's going well. That's good. Do they know you have a course coming or that you've been working on building it? They do not. And I need to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Working in public. Hey, I'm working to build this, especially if you can get their input and feedback on what, you know, what would be most helpful to include inside here? What are you struggling with as part of this process? Take them along for the ride. And then when it's ready, say, hey, the thing that you helped me build, it's ready. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we'll be able to do a follow-up with Matt and see where he takes this thing. I think a pretty cool business on kind of a growing space, you know, reach, really helping people reach the power of Amazon as an authority builder and as a discovery engine, a search engine, right? Like if somebody searches side hustle, I want them to find me on every search engine that's out there, not just Google. And I think it's the same for Matt's clients. At least that's one way to position it. Kurt, really appreciate your expertise. Any parting thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, Matt, I think you are far more skilled and talented and smart than you know, and in a way better position than you realize. I bet there are plenty of listeners who would trade places with you in a heartbeat. Don't be so hard on yourself. Every issue you said you had, I have had myself and heard from dozens of other entrepreneurs. You're not alone, and I, I absolutely believe in you. You could do this. Thank you so much, Kurt. I mean, this was extremely helpful. I already feel infinitely more confident and, and focused. Very good. Well, you can check him out at platypusbooks.com. And of course, check out Kurt at ethercycle.com. Really appreciate you guys both joining me and being open to sharing this stuff on air. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. My honor and pleasure. All right. My top three takeaways from this call with Matt and Kurt. Number one is to help someone one-on-one and get paid for it. There's a really important first step in many businesses and that's one that Matt has already checked off. He's come up with a service, he's sold it, he's delivered it, and he's gotten paid a significant amount for it. None of that is easy, but I think it's huge for building confidence and building momentum. 
that one-on-one service can be the building blocks for a more time-leveraged offering. Think of Todd Tresseter, who we heard on the show several months ago. He runs financialmentor.com, and he'd been proving out his theories and models with individual clients for years, and now he's moved into creating books and courses on the same topic. And I followed a similar path. For example, I did a bunch of one-on-one website reviews, mostly on Fiverr, and then I wrote the small business website checklist based on some of the common problems that I saw on those sites. It's a model we've seen quite a bit on the show. Help someone one-on-one, get paid, worry about scale and the, the passive income side of things later. Takeaway number two is to get clear on who you help. This is an area where Kurt and I agreed that Matt could definitely improve. And we may have begun honing in on that toward the end of the conversation with the idea to focus on business owners that have some high-end product or service, but are lacking that entry-level product in their own product ladder, a book in, in this case, or a book is what Matt wants to add to their product ladder. And in a space where there are lots of competing services, it's that niching down or customer selection that can help Matt and you, for all intents and purposes, stand out to make it easier to earn referrals and have customers saying, yes, this is exactly what I need, and you're the go-to person to help me get that done. So that was takeaway number two. Really get clear on your customer avatar. Get clear on who you can help. And takeaway number three is to ask for the sale. In this case, Matt's got the advantage of a warm audience that's opted in to hear from him. 400 people, that's a tremendous asset for any company, and it can be a source of product direction, feedback, and sales. Since he's already done the hard work of creating the course, my hope is he offers it to that email list right away. There are certainly more elaborate launch sequences, but the one I used to recruit the first round of students to my new course went like this. Email number one, hey, here's what I made, here's who it's for, and here's what you're going to get out of it. Second email I sent two days later, and that was frequently asked questions based on the responses that I got back or based on putting myself in a potential customer's shoes. Hey, what kind of questions they may have. And the third email was one I sent one day later, and that was the cart is closing tonight email. I actually don't love the open and close cart business, but in this case, I closed it off because it was a special pre-sale offer and we'll actually probably run a similar limited enrollment once or twice more to help people go through the content in cohorts and hopefully give me some, some feedback on the course material and the structure before hopefully opening it up as a more evergreen product. SideHustleNation.com slash Hustle 101 if you want to join the interest list for that. It's geared to help you go from no ideas to your first customers in a freelance or consulting business. But some of the exercises, of course, are going to be applicable to online or audience businesses as well. Once again, notes and links from this episode, along with the full text summary of the call, are at SideHustleNation.com slash Platypus. Remember, Matt's business is at platypusbooks.com. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.